Welcome to the podcast. Hello guys, welcome to another episode of the Young in Love podcast and this is your favorite host, Keziah Vilawa. On the previous episode of this podcast, we discussed all the things that could go wrong on a one night stand and the resolution was don't do it, it's really not worth the risk. If you're new to this podcast, you're highly welcome, I love you. On today's episode, hmm, or more, or more, I just read something and I was going to sleep because it is 10.49 p.m. at the time of recording this. I was going to sleep over it and probably probably do an episode about it much later but guys <laughs> i could not hold my i don't even know what's the word i could not hold my excitement to to share it with you guys you know i bring you premium content like when i see stuff i'm like ah i must share this one so on this episode i'm going to be discussing what i read and i mean i'm going to make references to where i read what i read you know so in case you're interested you can um send me a message on my instagram account at youngandlove underscore podcast or maybe shoot me an email youngandlovepod at gmail.com and then I would send a link so you can also download the material if you find it really interesting. So um, there's this app I used to study regularly and they produced a lesson for the months of July, August and September and the theme, the general theme of all the lessons that you know we're supposed to study in this quarter. It's a Bible study app, right? It's <laughs> titled principles of biblical sexuality and you know that right from time right human beings have been so like interested in the issue of sexuality sex sells today in the entertainment industry in church people want to talk about sex now young people old people married people people of all ages are actually interested in, in sexuality right so this theme kind of piqued my interest and so i was like you know what it's not the main lesson for the quarter but i'm going to make sure i study judiciously and so just today uh the the lesson for this week titled marital sexuality i'm not married right but for some reason i just thought okay marital sexuality let me read what it's about so maybe i should just like read the title of all the topics like for all the weeks in this quarter you have countercultural the second lesson was titled naked the third one of two gifts the fourth incredible sex the fifth one marital sexuality oneness the sixth lesson marital sexuality two-ness the seventh lesson marital sexuality sameness of nature i haven't read this one but maybe it's about you know uh homosexuals and you know the likes the eighth lesson is marital sexuality difference the ninth lesson is interconnectedness the tenth is premarital sexuality mm, this one concerns a lot of us single people <laughs> i haven't read it but i mean the titles sound really interesting the eleventh lesson is when things go wrong the twelfth lesson is beyond sexuality and the thirteenth is titled purity if you're interested in this material i'll definitely send it to you stay tuned and i'll be back Welcome back. I've heard quite a number of people say that many of the people in Old Testament times were polygamous. And so some people use that as a justification for polygamy within Christianity. 
And that's true. I mean, you're not wrong. Some people in the Bible, especially the Old Testament, were polygamous. So this lesson is basically an exposition into that polygamy. Justified, not justified, we're going to find out straight from the horse's mouth, from the Bible itself. Now, the first person we're going to look at is Abraham. Abraham was called the friend of God in the book of James 2.23. Uh, my readings are basically going to be from the New King James Version. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. The next person is David. David was a man after God's own heart. And the book of Acts chapter 13 verse 22 says, And when he had removed him, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said i have found david the son of jesse a man after my own heart who will do all my will the next person is um the next person is solomon and solomon was the wisest man ever to live i mean outside of jesus and in the book of first kings chapter 4 verse uh, 29 to 34 and god gave solomon wisdom and exceedingly great understanding and largeness of heart like the sand on the seashore thus solomon's wisdom exceeds the wisdom of all the men of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt for he was wiser than all men you know that's that for Abraham David and Solomon now what do these men have in common other than their apparent you know favored status with God God called Abraham friend David was a man after his own heart Solomon was the wisest person they, they all had favor with God right a favored status with God now guess what they also had in common they all had multiple wives right they all had Abraham David Solomon they all had multiple wives so what happened did the Old Testament approve polygamy? Did the Old Testament God acquiesce to the cultural norms of the day, you know, and permit what he later disdained? Because some, somewhere in the New Testament, you see that polygamy is like frowned at. When you look at the requirements for an elder in the church in the New Testament, you'll see that an elder should be a man of one wife, you know, promoting monogamy. So is it that God in the Old Testament was polygamous? I mean, he approved polygamy. And then later in the New Testament, he changed to now disprove polygamy. Or is there something else at play? <laughs> Let's find out. So besides the examples of um, Old Testament men of faith, right? There are various texts that are assumed to support polygamy in ancient Israel. I said in the introduction that people use some verses in scripture to support polygamy. The Levirate, it has been said to indirectly condone polygamy for the sake of preserving a diseased brother's legacy. Let's just read quickly from the book of um, Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 5 to 10. It says, if brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the widow of the dead man shall not be married to a stranger outside the family. Her husband's brother shall go into her, take her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And it shall be that the firstborn son which she shall bear will succeed to the name of his dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. But if the man does not want to take his brother's wife, then let his brother's wife go up to the gate to the elders and say, my husband's brother refuses to raise up a name 
unbeknownst to his brother in Israel, he will not perform the duty of my husband's brother. Then the elders of his city shall call him and speak to him. But if he stands firm and says, I do not want to take her, then his brother's wife shall come to him in the presence of the elders, remove his sandal from his foot, spit in his face and answer and say, so shall it be done to the man who will not build up his brother's house. And his name shall be called in Israel, the house of him who had his sandal removed. So what this place is basically saying that if a man and a woman are married and the man dies, the brother of the late man should go and sleep with, especially if there's no child, you know, stuff like that. The, the brother of the late man should go and sleep with his late brother's wife so that she can bear a son and the name of the late brother shall continue in the household of Israel. Now, if the man refuses to go and sleep with his late brother's wife, the woman should go and gather the elders at the city gate and tell them what the matter is. That, oh, my late uh, husband's brother does not want to sleep with me. And then they will do the ritual where she would go, remove his sandals and spit on his face. And then his house will be known as the house of the man who whose sandals was removed. That's the summary of Deuteronomy. Right, so if you, if you look at Deuteronomy 25 where we have just read at a glance it looks like mm, okay this is polygamous because if the man right had a wife before and then if he goes to take the late brother's wife as a wife would that not make him to be like a polygamous man because now he has his wife and now he's also going to take his late brother's wife so that's like having two wives however this view neglects the fact that the living brother had the option of refusal don't forget that when we read it they said if the man does not want to take her as wife when people use this place to argue for polygamy they ignore the fact that this man in even in the bible is given a choice he has the option of refusal and no instance of its um, application in the bible actually led to polygamy because I'm, we are going to look at the, the instances in the bible where this culture was applied because where we read from Deuteronomy 25 is just stating the culture we have not read an actual application of that culture so we are going to look at two instances in the bible where that culture was applied and let's see if it actually led to polygamy the two instances Genesis 38 and Ruth chapter 4. Guys, buckle your seatbelt because in fact, these were the instances that made me start screaming like, no, 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 Keziah, you have to do an episode on this. You just, you cannot, you have to do an episode. So guys, fasten your seatbelt and read with me. We're going to start with Genesis chapter 38 and I'm going to make this as fast as possible because I'm, we have like so many places to read through and I'm going to be incorporating a lot of Bible text so that it's not like I'm just telling you guys stories from my head. I'm not making any of these things up. They're right there in the Bible. Let's start from Genesis chapter 38. It came to pass at that time that Judah departed from his brothers and visited a certain Adulamite whose name was Hira and Judah saw there a daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua and he married her and went into her. I mean, you know, when the Bible says went in, he had sex with her. So she conceived and bore a son and he called his name Er. That's E-R. Verse 4 says, she conceived again and bore a son and she called his name Onan. That's second son there. And she conceived yet again and bore a son and called his name Shelah, third son. He was at Chesdib when she bore him. Then Judah took a wife for Er, his first son, and her name was Tamar. But Er which is Judah's firstborn son was wicked in the sight of the Lord and the Lord killed him. Verse 8 says, And Judah said to Onan, who is the second son now, Go into your brother's wife and marry her. 
and raise up an heir to your brother. Verse 9 says, But Onan knew that the heir would not be his. And it came to pass that when he went into his brother's wife, that he emitted on the ground, which is what we like popularly refer to now as withdrawal method. So instead of ejaculating in the body of the woman, you withdraw and probably spill your semen elsewhere. So here says that he emitted on the ground, lest he should give an heir to his brother. So Onan was like, you know what? After having sex with my late brother's wife, if I get her pregnant, at the end of the day, the child will not be mine. It will still be my late brother's own. So I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to waste all my passion only to have a child for my late brother. So he withdrew, right? Uh, verse 10 says, And the thing which he did displeased the Lord. Therefore, he killed him also. That means first brother and second brother dead. Now verse 11 says, Then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, Don't forget, Tamar is the wife of the first son. She's a widow now. Verse 11 says, Then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, Remain a widow in your father's house, as in go back to your father's house, till my son Shelah, which is the third son, till my son Shelah is grown for he said lest he also die like his brothers and Tamar went and dwelt in her father's house now in the process of time the daughter of Shua Judah's wife died and Judah was comforted and went up to his sheep sharers at Timnah he and his friend Hira the Adulamites verse 13 says and it was told Tamar now I don't want you to forget the chronology of events verse 12 says that Judah's wife died. Y'all following? Judah is now what? A widower. His wife died. Let's continue. Verse 13. And it was told Tamar, which is the widow, as in <laughs> the wife of Judah's first son. And it was told Tamar saying, look, your father-in-law is going up to Timna to share his sheep. So she took off her widow's garment, covered herself with a veil and wrapped herself and sat in an open place, which was on the way to Timna. For she saw that Shela was grown. Who is Shela? Shela is the third brother. Don't forget that Judah told the daughter-in-law to go back to her father's house. Now, when the third son is grown, probably he was like a minor or something. So it's like, you know, go back to your father's house. The custom is that the living brother should sleep with, you know, you. But Shela is still small. He's still a minor. So when he's grown, I, I mean, Shela can you know have sex with you and stuff so as i was saying <laughs> tama saw that Sheila was grown and she was not given to him as a wife so this means that judah did not come through on his promise because in tama's head Sheila is grown so why have they not given me to him yet now verse 15 says when judah saw her he thought she was a harlot don't forget that tama disguised she covered herself and all so when judah saw her he thought she was a harlot because she had covered her face then he turned to her by the way and said please let me come in unto you so judah is asking to sleep with the harlots you guys following please let me come and don't also forget that judah's wife was dead please let me come into you for he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law 
So she said, what will you give me that you may come into me? Verse 17 says, and he said, I will send you a young goat from the flock. So she said, will you give me a pledge till you send it? 18. Then he said, what pledge shall I give you? So she said, your signet and cord and your staff that is in your hand. Then he gave them to her, went into her and she conceived by him. Guess what, guys? <laughs> Tama slept with her father-in-law in the Bible. Tama slept with her father-in-law and got pregnant for her father-in-law. Hmm. Guys, just stay with me, okay? Hmm. Verse 19 says, So she arose and went away and laid aside her veil and put on the garment of her widowhood. Now verse 20, And Judah sent the young goats. So, you know, let me just summarize verse 20 down. So Judah sent what he promised. He sent it through his servant. When the servant got to where the supposed harlot was, they did not see any harlot. So they asked around, Where is the harlot that was here? Our master has something for her because Judah wanted to be a man of his word so since i promised this harlot you know to give her this let me give so, and the villagers were like there's no harlot here oh. ah. so the servants went back to judah to say judah sorry oh, this place when we went there they said there's no harlot there we even asked the villagers the village villagers said no harlot is there uh, okay, so let me start from verse 24. I've summarized 20 all the way to 24. Verse 24 says, And it came to pass about three months after that Judah was told, saying, Tamar, your daughter-in-law, has played the harlot. Furthermore, she is with child by harlotry. So Judah said, Bring her out and let her be burned. When she was brought out, she sent to her father-in-law, saying, By the man to whom these belong, I am with child. And she said, Please determine whose these are, the signet and cord and stuff. So basically this place is saying that when judah was like uh-uh you to my daughter-in-law you you went to carry belle how so tama came out and said the father of my child is the owner of these so she brought out the signet and the cord guess what when she presented it even judah recognized it he was like oh this is mine so judah acknowledged them and said she has been more righteous than i because i did not give her to shela my son and he never knew her again that means he never slept with her again now verse 27 now it came to pass at the time for giving birth that behold twins were in her womb I mean, you can read it up to the end. The last verse of this chapter is 30. Guys, the name of the child, because she had twins. That's what the Bible says here. She had twins. His name was called Perez, as in the first one who came out. Then afterward, the second twin came out, who had the scarlet thread on his hand, and his name was called Zera. So this Tama had twins for her father-in-law named Perez and Zera. I said the next reading we are going to do is Ruth chapter 4. I, I don't know if this is getting boring, but I just need you to stay with me. <laughs> we are going somewhere. Ruth chapter 4 and I'm going to read. So let me just go straight to um, verse 7 of Ruth chapter 4. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm anything. One man took off his sandal and gave it to the other and this was a confirmation in Israel. Therefore, the close relative said to Boaz, buy it for yourself. So he took off his sandal and Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was 
Elimelech's and all that was Chilion's and Malon's from the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabites, the widow of Malon, I have acquired as my wife. So this is the custom. So this is the second instance of the application of that custom we read in Deuteronomy where when a man dies, the, the, the brother of the late man would acquire the wife as, you know, as his own wife and all of that. So this is another application. Verse 11 says, And all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. So verse 13 now says, So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And when he went into her, when he slept with his wife, the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Verse 17 says, Also the neighbor women gave him a name, saying, There is a son born to Naomi, and they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse the father of David. Now, listen guys, verse 17, verse 18 rather says, now this is the genealogy of Perez. Don't forget that Perez appeared in Genesis 38. Perez is the son, is one of the twins that Tamar had for her father-in-law. So but here we are seeing the genealogy now, the genealogy of Perez. After Tamar slept with her father-in-law, she had twins and one of the twins was Perez. Perez had a son named Hezron. Hezron now had a son named Ram. Ram had a son named Aminadab. Aminadab begot another one called Nashon. Nashon had a child named Salmon. Salmon had a child named Boaz. And Boaz had a child called Obed. Now, Obed had a child called Jesse. And Jesse had a child called David. If you follow this genealogy down from David and go on and on, you will see that Jesus came from this lineage of what today we will call abomination, as in a, a girl getting pregnant for her father-in-law. Anyways, that's not the main point of all of this. We have seen the two instances now where the tradition in Deuteronomy 25 was applied, where oh, if a man dies, the brother should marry the late wife. Another text, let's also look at, at another text that is used in, in the law, you know, requiring a man who has slept with a virgin, not his wife, to marry her. Another part of the Bible that people use to like justify polygamy is um, Deuteronomy 22-28, which says, if a man finds a young woman who is a virgin who is not betrothed and seizes her and lies with her and they are found out then the man who lay with her shall give to the young woman's father 50 shekels of silver and she shall be his wife because he has humbled her he shall not be permitted to divorce her all his days if the man is already married in this instance now this place we have read from it is suggested that this will lead to polygamy because imagine a married man goes to sleep with a lady who's a virgin who is not betrothed and then the law requires that if any man sleeps with a virgin who is not betrothed he should marry her that means if the man is already a married man and he now has to marry this virgin that he slept with he's going to have two wives right do you see so this is another place in the bible that people cite when it comes to polygamy now let's look at the book of exodus 22 16 and 17 where the same law is found i mean the same law requiring the man to marry the virgin let's look at it exodus 22 16 17 says if a man entices a virgin who is not betrothed and lies with her he shall surely pay the bride price for her to be his wife if her father utterly refuses to give her to him he shall pay money according to the bride price of virgins so now you see and you know why it's good to not just like read a particular verse and interpret it just based on that verse you have to compare the bible says line upon line you need like let the bible interpret itself so exodus 22 is like 
re-echoing Deuteronomy 22:28. In Exodus 22, where we have just read, the same law is found. But look at the difference here. The father may refuse the marriage for whatever reason. So in this case, polygamy is not a given. Now, don't forget that in all the instances we've looked at, even the law when it was stated in Deuteronomy 25, there's also the option of the brother of the late man to refuse to sleep with the wife of his late brother. The same way in this case, the father of the virgin has the option to reject money from this man. He has the option to not give his daughter out to the man. So it is not a, a mandate. It's not a do or die affair. It's not a given. Polygamy is not a given. Another text worthy of closer examination is Leviticus 18, 18. Nor shall you take a woman as a rival to her sister to uncover her nakedness while the other is alive. I think this is another verse that many people wanting to justify polygamy side like oh leviticus 18 18 is actually you know somewhat polygamous it says that maybe you you can marry another wife but don't just marry the sister to your current wife because that's why i said nor shall you take a woman as a rival to her sister to uncover her nakedness while the other is alive so if you're married to a you cannot go and marry a's sister especially while a is alive so they're like well based on this verse you can actually marry again, but just not the sister of your wife, especially when your wife is alive. <laughs> Guys, in the New King James Version, which I've been reading from, that's what it says. So I have taken this text to mean that polygamy was actually permitted among the Israelites, just not in the case of two sisters marrying the same man. Moreover, the text is typically viewed as part of the laws concerning incest. The verses in Leviticus 18, 7 to 17. You know, I said it's good to like read contextually. So if you read the verses that come before Leviticus 18, 18, you see that they have a particular formation in, in Hebrew, beginning with Erwat, E-R-O-W-A-T, which means the nakedness of. The text section Leviticus 18 to 23, which is, which forms the verses after verse 18, has a different formation and each verse begins with wow, which is W-A-W, a conjunction and it ends with the other prohibitions beginning with low. I don't have the time to read all of the. I, I wish you could like get a Bible and read these verses yourself. So let me just, let me read it. I'm going to wrap. I'm going to be really fast. Leviticus 18, 7 to 17. The nakedness of your father or the nakedness of your mother, you shall not uncover. She's your mother. You shall not uncover her nakedness. The nakedness of your father's wife, you shall not uncover. It is your father's nakedness. The nakedness of your sister, you know, when the Bible says nakedness, you get what the Bible is saying. Don't sleep with these people. The nakedness of your sister, the daughter of your father or the daughter of your mother, whether born at home or elsewhere, their nakedness you shall not uncover. The nakedness of your son's daughter or your daughter's daughter, their nakedness you shall not uncover, for theirs is your own nakedness. The nakedness of your father's wife's daughter, begotten by your father she is your sister you shall not uncover her nakedness you shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's sister she is near of kin to your father you shall not uncover the nakedness of your mother's sister for, is, for she is near of kin to your mother you shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's brother you shall not approach his wife that means your father's brother who is your uncle and his wife you shall not approach pata, pata, pata. she is your aunt you shall not uncover the nakedness of your daughter-in-law she is your son's wife you shall not uncover her nakedness you shall not uncover the nakedness of your brother's wife. It is your brother's nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of a woman and her daughter. Nor shall you take her son's daughter or her daughter's daughter. 
to uncover her nakedness. They are near of kin to her. It is wickedness. This is what the Bible says. So you can't be sleeping with one woman and be sleeping with her daughter or her daughter's daughter. You cannot be sleeping with one woman and then be sleeping with the son's daughter. This, this that is what Leviticus 7 to 17 is saying. Now, Leviticus 18 to 23 is saying, Nor shall you take a woman as a rival to her sister to uncover her nakedness while the other is alive. Also, you shall not approach a woman to uncover her nakedness as long as she is in her customary impurity, which we now call menstruation. <laughs> Leviticus 19 is saying, Don't approach a woman to have sex with her when she's menstruating. Verse 20 says, Moreover, you shall not lie carnally with your neighbor's wife to defile yourself with her and you shall not let any of your descendants pass through the fire to Molech nor shall you profane the name of the Lord your God I am the Lord you shall not lie with a male as with a woman it is an abomination you sh nor shall you mate with any animal to defile yourself with it nor shall any woman stand before any animal to mate with it it is perversion so when you read the whole of Leviticus like especially Leviticus 18 7 to, to 23 you'll find that that particular verse verse 18 there's a whole lot going on there and the term sister in Leviticus 18 verse 18 is actually used in different ways in the Old Testament the term sister is not confined to your blood relative as in your father's daughter or your mother's daughter the, that term so you know they've translated the bible from hebrew greek and aramaic to english but when you look at the original word the word used there is ahot which is a-h-o-t that term a-h-o-t is actually used in different ways in the old testament sometimes that ahot is is used to refer to a blood sister genesis 4 22 says and as for zila she also bought to balkane an instructor of every craftsman in bronze and iron and the sister of Tubalkane was nama this sister here the hebrew is ahot now that same Ahot is also used in the Old Testament to refer to a half sister. In Genesis 20:12, it says, But indeed, she is truly my sister. She is the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. So you see, in this case, indeed, she's truly my sister. But look at the explanation. She's the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. It's what we call stepsister these days. So Ahot is also used to refer to a half sister. Now, that same Ahot is also used to refer to a kinswoman you know when you say this person my kinsman it's also used to refer to a kinswoman and you'll see that in the book of genesis 24 59 and 60 genesis 24 50, verse 59 and 60 says so they sent away rebecca their sister and her nurse and abraham's servant and his men verse 60 says and they blessed rebecca and said to her our sister are you following our sister may you become the mother of thousands of ten thousands and may you your descendants possess the gates of those who hate them in this case rebecca was not their blood sister she was not even their half sister she was basically a kinswoman but guess what they call her sister that same word a hot now that same word a hot can also be used to refer to a female fellow citizen in general and just like i'm nigerian 
and then I'm maybe in diaspora or anywhere. Or let's say, you know, I'm an Igbo lady, for instance, and I live here in Lagos, and I see another Igbo lady, Chidima or, you know, Nena. I refer to Nena as my sister because we are both from Igbo, you know. In the Old Testament, it also used to refer to a female fellow citizen in general. And you see this in the book of Numbers 25:18 and Hosea 2, 1. Numbers 25:18 says, For they harassed you with their schemes by which they seduced you in the matter of Peor and in the matter of Cosby, the daughter of a leader of Midian, their sister. In this case, Midian was not their blood sister, not their half sister, not their kinswoman, just a fellow citizen from the same country who was killed in the day of the plague because of Peor. Hosea 2 verse 1 says, Say to your brethren, my people, and to your sisters, mercy is shown. So you see that Leviticus 18, 18, when that place says, don't take a rival, you know, to a woman who is a sister or stuff like that. It is not limited to a blood sister because when you want to justify polygamy with that verse, you say, okay, I can marry as many wives as possible, but just not the sister to my current wife. Because Leviticus 18, 18 is not shall you take a woman as a rival to her sister to uncover her nakedness while the other is alive. So I have shown you that word sister in its hebrew form is ahot and i have given you other instances in the old testament where that same word ahot sister is used and it was not specific it was not restricted to blood re re relation so since leviticus 18 18 is not necessarily about you know that sisterhood incest the term sister here does not of a necessity need to be translated as referring to a blood relation which i've already said so the formation of the phrase there's a phrase there right isha el akota is used idiomatically in the old testament to mean adding one to another of the same kind um ezekiel 1 9 23 and then 313 Genesis 37 19 Exodus 37 9 Numbers 14 4 they also talk about the same thing let me let me just read one to give a clearer um, understanding Exodus 37 9 says the cherubim spread out their wings above and covered the mercy seat with their wings now they faced one another the faces of the cherubim were toward the mercy seat the same uh what's the word the same phrase that was used in this particular place that I have read from is similar to the phrase that you will find in Leviticus 18.18. In the Hebrew, I mean in the original Hebrew language is similar. So a clearer translation of Leviticus 18.18 would actually read, I mean using the literal translation from Hebrew now, a clearer translation of Leviticus 18.18 would read thus and you shall not marry a woman in addition to another as a second wife while she is alive to uncover her nakedness. That is the original uh, uh, translation of Leviticus 18.18. And contrary to the view that that Leviticus 18.18 sanctions polygamy, you know, the text is actually a prohibition of polygamy. If you, if you look at the, the original translation, which I have just read, that says, and you shall not marry a woman in addition to another as a second wife while she's alive to uncover her nakedness is a clear 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 prohibition of polygamy it's not about oh you can marry another woman provided that woman is not the sister to your current wife no it's actually a clear prohibition because that word sister is not restrictive it doesn't just mean blood 
relation. It means don't marry another woman in addition to the woman you have. That's just is a clear prohibition of polygamy. Also, polygamy, it is a prohibition designated an abomination. It wasn't just prohibited. The Bible calls it an abomination, actually. If you read from Leviticus 18, then 24 through uh, 29, you will see verse 29. Let me just go to the last one. It says, For whoever commits any of these abominations, the persons who commit them shall be cut off from among their people. So do you see? The Bible calls it an abomination. The Bible calls polygamy an abomination. So this, if, I mean, from a faith-based perspective, you're Christian, the monogamous marriage is actually God's ideal for all humanity. As we saw in the creation story in the Garden of Eden, perhaps God would have molded two of Eve, make them like three, four, but he made one, right? So now the fact that we see, you know, all these heroes of our faith with, with lives that we went contrary to God's command, the fact that we see those narratives in the Bible is actually not an endorsement of their disobedience. You know, I started out with Abraham, how God said, Abraham is my friend. I also started out with David. God referred to David as a man after his own heart. What about Solomon? Solomon was loved by God, blessed by God with wisdom. But all of these men actually had multiple wives. Now, the fact that these heroes of our faith had multiple wives, they actually went against God's command, is not an endorsement of their disobedience. We should not refer to the disobedience of, you know, characters in the Bible as an endorsement of that disobedience. The fact that it's in the Bible does not mean it is endorsed. For all we know, a lot of things went down in the Bible that God found out. In fact, the realization that men who were privileged to commune so closely with God still failed in certain areas of their lives ought to humble our perception of our own ability to live righteously. The Bible has good and bad examples, actually. The good examples are for us to follow and the bad examples are to serve as warnings. So to round up, I'll just take this last and final Bible verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 1 to 12. It says, more Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our existence examples to the intents that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted and do not become idolaters as were some of them as it is written the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did and in one day 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Verse 10 says, Nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. 11 says, Now all these things happened to them as examples and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who 
good things he stands, take heed lest he fall. With this, I have come to the end of this episode. So when people talk about polygamy and reference some of these verses that we have now addressed, at least you know that these verses did not support polygamy. One, two, that Solomon, David, Abraham, and a number of them did it is not an endorsement of their actions because it's in the Bible. From what we have read now, we see that even people of old, I mean, in, in the Old Testament, in the Bible, they made mistakes. Even men in the, in the New Testament made mistakes. So those mistakes are not written in the Bible for us to read and take them as endorsement of those mistakes. The Bible says that those mistakes, those actions were written for our own admonition so that we do not repeat them. Guys, I have spoken long. Now, I do hope that this was insightful to someone. If you'd like to share something with me, if you would like to request this study material, this material is very deep. Like they go all the way in the research and you would love it. So if you want to request this material, I could send you the link to download it from the app store. It is also available on the Play Store. So just hit me up at younginlove underscore podcast or even send me a message on Podroom. Just comment on this episode on Podroom. Send an email, younginlovepod at gmail.com. If you have my WhatsApp, number go ahead like i'll be happy to receive your request if you want to receive this study material the theme of this lesson is principles of biblical sexuality and they really went deep all the way marital sex premarital sex same sex um sexual relationship they went all the way and it is mind-blowing i can't even the, the lessons are so exciting i cannot exhaust it all so that's why i just picked a day and you can see how long i've already spoken the 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 research is deep you would if you're someone who like me is passionate about sexual um, topics you will find this study material really nice so just hit me up and i will share um, a link to download it uh, with you now until the next episode bye be good Young in love. Young in love.